Yes, because uh, you are allowed to present your experts. So uh, these people were appointed to appear on behalf of the Babri Masjid Action Committee. So in all the debates and in all the dialogues with the government, uh, these historians went. Six of them, R.S. Sharma, D.N. Jha, Athar Ali, Suraj Bhan, Mandal. And who is supposed to be arguing in, in favor of uh, the Ram Jamu? See, the uh, VHP uh, chose its own group. That group included people like S.P. Gupta, who was an archaeologist and very active uh, in the Ayodhya movement, the Vendra Surup, uh, uh, this uh, B.R. Grover, who had examined the records, Harsh Narayan, who had studied the Persian accounts of this period. So these were among, they, each group was entitled to have its own experts because the people fighting will not know the intricacies. So each group was allowed its experts. So the left historians were appointed to represent the BMAC and these uh, historians were representing the VHP and the Hindu parties. So then how did the Hindu historians tell in court? Were their arguments accepted more by the... Everything was evident. The evidence is, uh, the evidence, see Harsh Narayan, I will just give you one by one. Harsh Narayan uh, presented the list of histories were written, that were written in Urdu, Arabic, Persian in the 18th, 19th centuries. So they are all there as part of the court proceedings. Uh, the archaeological uh, arguments that were presented by S.P. Gupta, they were vindicated by the ASI. So, uh, that is what I am saying, it is very difficult for me to say what was the evidence that was going to favor the Babri Masjid Action Committee because I have not been able to see any evidence. The literary evidence in Urdu, Arabic, Persian, the archaeological evidence, the judicial records in the Fezabad district court, the revenue records of the British. So, all of these things were presented by the Hindu party no? because every party had to give its own. The revenue records were presented by B.R. Grover. Sorry, I just have one more question. Yeah, so, sure. uh, from the Babri Masjid Action Committee side, what is the strongest argument that they can present? Is is was it is there something illegal that happened when the mosque was demolished? Is there any law under which certain activists can be tried? Like, what can you give some information about? No, that? no, uh, that is uh, something which is the sec which the secular media and all have pulled up, uh, played up also that the demolition of the masjid uh, on sixth December was an illegal act. But the thing has gone beyond that. So that is irrelevant now. And what about the history of that site before that? They said it, the main thing is that they said the Babri Masjid is built on vacant land. Till the excavation started, they said if it is found that it is built on the site of a temple, we will hand it over. Sayyid Shabuddin, if you remember, he was so vocal in saying that a masjid cannot be built on the site of a previous uh, religious structure. And if it is proven, we will hand it over. But it was all proven. In fact, when the ASI excavations started and the remnants of temples began to be unearthed, then the BMAC said that, you know, uh, there is not a temple beneath Babri Masjid, there is another mosque beneath it. So that is the extent to which they went. You know, temple pieces have been found there. 
ால் went to that site to carry out excavations and he said that the pillars show that they are originally at that site and that means there is a temple below this structure. In Babri mosque also the Hindu remnants were there. Na? The remains of the Hindu temple were visible to everybody. Ma'am, I have got uh, one question, one suggestion and one observation. Oh God. <laughs> The question is that when you started, you said that there was a terracotta piece of art dated 2nd BC. Huh. What is the source of this information? I, if you can just give me my book, I will just show you the picture. Okay. Uh, the second suggestion is, the suggestion is, if you can share your findings with us so that we can popularize all these logics in the various social media This channels. is the first this is a this book yeah. t-shirt okay. so, so this, this is, is just a 200 page book you can finish it in a few see hours this is the terracotta where ravan is taking away sita and she is showing throwing her ornaments all right now i'll just show you one more it's a very well produced book my main book is that book on you know called the bat uh, the ram and ayodhya Now this is the Tretaka Thakur inscription which is in Lucknow Museum, alright and you can see and you can see the inscription that was found at Ayodhya, that is so totally different. Can we buy this book here? Yeah, yeah, you can. It is available for 40% discount, yeah, author's yeah, discount, yeah, author's yeah, discount. We bought some books, you can buy it right now, sure. get a signature. So, this is. <laughs> yes, yes. So, the temple that you were referring to, which is present there in Chhattisgarh or in Rayapur, yeah. is it the same temple which belongs, which is also called as the Lakshman temple? No, it is called the Rajam, uh, I will just give you the thing, the name because is. you mentioned given. Rayapur also. Yeah, I will just give you the, that I have got that. And just one more thing, this is the. FIR that was filed by the Thanedar in 1858, all right. And this is the copy of the complaint that the superintendent of Babri Masjid, he made in 1858. And this is the subsequent report of the Thanedar saying that now we have thrown out the six. So, these three, these are original documents which were presented before the and it is just a miracle how they survived huh? and no attempt was made to preserve them. Anything could have happened, termites or anything, but it is just uh, you know destiny or what and these are some of the you know uh, these are some of the drawings that, that Tiffin Thela I told you that Jesuit. Is his book available on the internet? Yeah, yeah, you can order it. No, on the internet. No, no, not, not yet. No, not yet. Actually, my major work is uh, published four years ago. It's called Ram and Ayodhya. That's a very thick book. And uh, then the publisher said that you know it's 
because it's all uh, very scholarly and very serious. So the scholars, uh, the publisher said, please bring out a simpler version. And then this Tretaka Thakur thing had inscription had come in the meantime. And then that uh, scribe, you know, his report that I am writing from the Janam Bhumi of this. So many little, little things had come. So he said, just bring a smaller version and add these points. But what you are saying is a genuine problem when you have to seek out this information, it does not come to you. Like, that is the have, problem. Friends have to initiate you into like this. No, you see, but the thing is, no, no, but, uh, but it is a... It is an indication of the weakness of our movement that the left has got all the media space for two decades. They have written, see nobody has asked me to write a single article on a Yodhya, a new newspaper and no TV channel, uh, you know, invites people like us because they do not want to hear this voice. And when they are totally in the wrong, they have hogged the media space and we have not been able to present our case on a wider scale. So this is something for us to learn. That you know, we are not able to manage the media. When, when all these facts about forging revenue records, is it a small thing that you just forge government records? Who has done it? Nobody has tried to inquire. I cannot go to an office and get the document of 1861. I cannot get document of yesterday also. <laughs> Something you know? like this happened in Rajasthan in the case of the scheduled tribe. So, there are two communities in Rajasthan, one is the Deeds and the other is Miras. These were supposed to be two different communities, right? So, somebody, there was a single community called Deed Mira, which was supposed to be count, uh, counted as a scheduled tribe uh, community. Some smart elect put a comma between Deed and Mira. And if you look at Miras, they look more Kshatriyas than the regular Kshatriyas. So, today they become the scheduled tribes. Because of a positive like the one that you mentioned. But you know, uh, one positive thing is that, you know, groups like this are emerging and people are coming to listen. They want to know. You know, when I wrote my first book on Ayodhya, you will perhaps not be surprised or surprised to know that no publisher was willing to publish it. Because they said it is making a case for the temple. So how can we publish a book which makes a case for a temple? I mean, if I write that the Babri Masjid has a case, then they will all bend backwards to publish it. And I was so, I thought I had written a masterpiece, you know, that every publisher, <laughs> every publisher will, you know, grab the book from me. And there, you know, I mean, rejection upon rejection upon rejection, I was devastated. I never thought that this experience, I, I mean, I never thought this would happen to me for this book because I had done a lot of work on this. Uh, then I was just uh, uh, telling some archaeologist friends and they said, don't you worry, we will make sure that this book gets published because the archaeologists were so involved in the Ayodhya dispute. Now, they were digging all the time and they were and the left historians were abusing them, calling them names. So, it was their intervention that saw that first book and now my publisher says that, you know, there is a growing interest. Because, you know, most of us, uh, we lack the courage to openly say that the temple has a case. You know, in the university, for example, I cannot give a speech like this. I cannot because the point is that I will be garaud or thrown out or worse will happen. And this domination of an anti Hindu 
ideology, the grip that it has acquired over our, our generation and the younger generation. Because in the universities, the professors teach them particular things. They do not have the time or the patience or the inclination to look for the truth themselves. But the, but the positive thing is that uh, you know I am invited to certain places to give talks which are put on the net and where I get some viewership. So from 4 years ago when I was being rejected, my books were being rejected to a situation where people do come to listen is progress I think. Don't our universities have some mode of uh, some ethics committee or something that oversees academic misconduct in general? Because this is a wonderful case study of Absolutely. academic misconduct. I, I really uh, totally appreciate your idea and I think it's a fabulous idea. And, and you know, in the sciences, if you fabricate data, your career is pretty much over. Yes. I mean, this is a commentary on the 70 years of humanities yes. in India. Absolutely. And imagine a professor saying that uh, Prithviraj Chauhan was the king of Ghazni. And I don't know why Jazia was levied. Was, was it? I mean, these kind of statements were outrageous. And you know how I found these? Because here also, you need to put in a lot of effort. One judgment was for 5000 pages. So I had to go through this judgment of Sudhir Agarwal, which was 5000 pages and mark those relevant portions. And those relevant portions were so long. I thought Puri Kitab is Then I selected from that. But how many of us have the patience to go through? Uh, Ma'am, uh, so I have two things to uh, talk about. The first thing is I wanted to know, to know a little more about the Vishnu Hari inscription, hmm. as in like uh, which king made this temple. If, if See that's available. that uh, you just photocopy two pages from my book. Okay. It's all there. No, I'll buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to sell my book. I'm no, not no, trying I, to sell I, my I book. I will genuinely. No, no. It yeah. just uh, <laughs> it's a very long inscription. Yeah. And uh, in fact, on the net only you can get the decipherment hmm. and it's part of the Allahabad High Court proceeding which are there on the net. Okay. This inscription says that this was the person who built this temple in honor of whose father was this, whose hmm. son was this, etc, etc. The okay. whole history of that temple is given in that inscription. Okay. And the second thing is I myself graduated from Delhi University this month itself oh. and uh, from CBS, College of Business Studies. Uh, Ma'am, uh, I've also been a part of the street play circuit of this university and your college, Gaki College has a very, very talented street play team. And since three years, their street plays have been against the Babri Masjid, against saffron terrorism or saffron education, whatever, and stuff like that, Kashmir, everything all very left-centric. And I know a number of professors, I've heard about a number of professors in the university itself who teach, openly teach things which are very much biased towards the left and anti-right, I'd say. Being biased towards the left is not a crime in itself, but being anti-right and having a propaganda against the right is, I think, something objectionable. So, and I haven't heard of a single professor who is pro-right, at least openly pro-right within the university. So, why is it that the people who are pro-left, professors who are pro-left are given so much space in the formal spaces of our universities, other institutions, and people who are pro-right are not often not recognized and are penalized. See, I don't yeah. regard myself as pro-right. I regard general. myself as appreciative of Indian civilization and culture. Hmm. 
that is the fundamental difference between uh, scholars like me hmm. we are not right in that sense hmm. i don't put myself i think that i am central okay i am trying to voice a view of our culture and our civilization which was a dominant view until 30 40 years ago hmm. when this left congress alliance took place hmm. till that time we produce scholars of outstanding caliber hmm. who talked like us but since 1969 when the congress government became a minority government hmm. under indira gandhi it needed the support of cpi to stay in power and the left is very very alert to advancing its ideological position in return for supporting the congress party they said give us one ministry and what was that ministry education ministry so all the ministers they were you know uh, either left historians or echoing their point of view see how they systematically uh, captured the ncert textbooks if you look at the ncert textbooks it is amazing the first set of ncert textbooks were written by left stalwarts like romila thapar rs sharma bipin chandra satish chandra the i read the satish chandra's book with great care because i wrote the book after that which survived only for one year because the government changed in that satish chandra's book i was amazed to note the extent to which he had gone to cover up the ugly face of iconoclasm and to depict hindu civilization hindu culture hindu society in the most negative terms i'll just give you one example jahangir ordered the execution of guru arjan and satish chandra what did he write on that he just wrote one sentence and i'm quoting him verbatim he said after the death of guru arjan by jahangir now a student death by jahangir what does it mean how will a student understand what it means so this was the extent to which they went then when there was so much when communities became aware of what was happening and they started protesting then upa 1 commissioned a new set of textbooks which are there in use in the ncert uh, you know among all the schools till today that's for 13 years they have been there and the books are written by the entire history department of jnu it's not one person like in the past it's a collaborative effort all the history faculty of jnu and two three other universities so it's the so called cream and what they have done this time again i'm talking about medieval india is that this time they have abolished chronology so they they were very careful this time that we will not show an openly anti hindu stance as we did in the past so what will we do we will not discuss dates so you will not believe it but in the present ncert textbook mahmud ghaznavi is discussed in the same line in the same sentence as a chola ruler there how will a 12 year child know that arabs and turks came from outside and attacked india because there is no mention and then it says that mahmud ghaznavi uh, was uh, attacked temples because they were 
full of wealth. There is no mention of the religious motivation at all. And it says that Hindu kings before Mahmud Ghaznavi came, they used to attack each other's temples as a routine. So Mahmud Ghaznavi was only following a practice which was already there. This is what the NCRT textbooks say. And in this uh, seventh class textbook, there is no discussion of Vijayanagar Empire at all. Krishna Devaraya, the great, one of the greatest kings of India, he is not mentioned in the NCRT textbook. Can you imagine? And there has been no protest. Nobody has examined these things. For a movement which calls itself a cultural movement, it has not even looked at these things. And then, there is a chapter on towns and cities. It discusses three towns or cities, Surat, Masuliputam and Vijanag, Hampi. So, Hampi is mentioned in a section on towns. Vijayanagar is not there. I will give you one more example. Uh, it says that uh, Queen Razia lived and ruled openly as a queen, as a woman. It does not talk about the resistance to her as a woman ruler. And it says that there was a Kakatiya queen, Rudrama, Devi, she had to pretend to be a man to rule. So, imagine the negative image that you are trying to portray. So, I mean, it is. What is this one for me between these? What is this? I mean, why are they getting so much? And, uh, and Islamists, why? That is, a, that is the crux of the matter. That, the way you have put it, that is the crux of the problem. But do you have any thoughts around this? I don't know why. It's too dangerous a question for me to answer. And ma'am, just because it came up, so uh, just because it came up, so I would like to share my experience as well as a DU student. Uh, last year there was a conference on Ram Janbhumi there, where Dr. Subramanian Swami yeah, was the main speaker. Yeah. There was a huge brouhaha about the left wing students, and they I was. Yeah, and it was purely academic, and yeah. still I, I know how I went inside, how many checks I had to be, uh, I had to get done, and I had to tell my identity. I am from this college. I am coming yeah. for this purpose. left wing All sorts of things were done, and how intolerant they were, I, I have seen personally, and, they talk and not about, just that. Yeah, they uh, talk about right intolerance, but the intolerance of the left, it has to be experienced to believe it. And the kind of, uh, you know, uh, movement that was there when one of the person who was allegedly, uh, you know, involved in anti-national slogans were allowed to the campus and the kind of movement that was thrown. So, I know what kind of biases that take place in the campus. So, ma'am, my question basically is how to tackle, you know, when you don't believe in certain things and when you know that it's not objective. So, how to tackle uh, those concoctions and how to build your way. For example, you know, one, if one sits for the entrances of JNU or some other universities, you are, uh, you know, uh, sort of See, obliged to follow a certain ideology. For example, Aryan invasion theory. No, no, There's not is, much evidence. That no. is the crux of the problem. If you want a Korean academics, they will be the sitting in the interviews. They will be your guide for PhD. So, you dare not step out of line. You know, you have to be very strong-minded to stay on a lonely path. But I still think that maybe slight change is coming because of social media. You know, because I can reach out. I don't have to go through the university system. I cannot talk in the university like this. I cannot teach in college like this. But then I can talk like this outside the university system. That is the only ray of hope. As of now, 
academically the scene is quite dismal and what i am amazed about is what is the facts that they have presented which have withstood scrutiny that is the main thing ma'am uh, ma'am could you tell us a bit about how the mantle for the hindu fight fell to the vhp uh, from the mahans and the, because i hear that even that transition hasn't been the smoothest of uh, i really don't know i can't answer this question but i think the vhp is full of mahans also isn't it vhp actually a large number of founding fathers of vhp they came from the mahans i can say it with a reasonable degree of confidence because i belong to that part of india and one of my parents actually took part in the events of 1992 actively on top yeah it was a it was a it was a body of mahans i think and religious leaders Come, come. You come in front. Just a statement uh, by another historian regarding Razia Sultana, Farishta. Uh, Farishta, in his history, yes, he talks about Razia Sultana, and see, he says she was faultless except that she was a woman. Yes, exactly. And this is the word of Farishta. Yeah, but imagine a modern scholar from JNU writing that she could rule openly as a woman. and this kakatiya queen had to pretend to be a man to rule and how will a 12 year old child be able to understand what is the reality ma'am um, social media pe when you bring up the ram temple to meri generation ke um, you know a lot of people there is a lot of reaction and very vicious reaction and part of all that uh, their story is exactly the same ji ye sawal mera hai so i'm playing the devil's advocate why not build a hospital or a that is really no solution haan ji to at all mujhe please civilizational answer ek bari uh, no no the, the thing is that these are sacred symbols of our culture our civilization our religion ram worship has an antiquity going back before christian era and why should we hospital can be built anywhere but the janam sthan temple can only be built in one place you can build 100 hospitals in ayodhya elsewhere how is this this is a statement of defeat i am sorry to say i agree ah. why not move forward matlab aage dekhte hain this is the other argument given let's move forward let's forget the past let's build a new in india new nation kyun why why bring all this up no no we move forward after we have built the temple over there that's <laughs> very <laughs> What is the problem? No, no. But I think before the Gyan Vapi Master and 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 no, and we are moving forward in the secular sphere, science, technology, medicine. Every way we are moving forward. Yeah. It is like uh, somebody occupying my house and saying that move forward. Yes. And the point is when I have proved that it is occupied by you, there is no evidence that you have got in your favor. so this temple this hospital argument is something that really pains me because build 100 hospitals build 1000 hospitals but why only in ayodhya ma'am can i say something to yeah. add to that you should ask them why not build a hospital from the money that comes from the charity proceedings after the temple is built simple as that fire huh? the question back anyway i'm um, i had a few observations um 
some uh, additions to wonderful scholarly work that you've done over Thank the you. past few years. I mean, when people, especially the left historians, start to say that uh, the worship of Ram, the cult of Ram is an 18th, 19th century. I mean, it is actually flying in the face of just traditional facts. Yes. I mean, I come, I'm originally from Himachal. Hmm. Kullu, the Shara has been going on for more Bilkul. than four centuries. Absolutely. And Kullu is supposed to be so remote yes. from Ayodhya. Yes. I mean, tra you know, traversing between these places. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that the original Ram, uh, Ram Chandra Bhagwan Murti was taken away from Kullu to Rampur by the king of Rampur after he defeated. So there was no desecration of temple. He taken it so that he could actually establish there. And between the two kingdoms later, there was this uh, agreement that, okay, we accept a suzerainty. However, you shall bring the, the deity, Ram Chandra Bhagwan, to Kullu every year for oh, the Dashaira. You please give me the evidence for this because I'll just tell you. And this is just an oral legend that we get no, to no, hear from you. Oral is important. I'll just tell you. Can I just tell him uh, this is the last observation, then I come to your question. The work that I'm doing now, it's related to what you have said. Okay. See, left historians have said that they've tried to underplay the instances of Islamic iconoclasm. And in this, they have been supported by very many Western scholars. Because there's an alliance between Western scholars, most Western scholars and Indian left historians. And the left historians uh, and the Western scholars, they have said that, you know, at best, in a thousand years, at best, not more than 80 temples were destroyed. And they say that this Hindu trauma, this so-called Hindu trauma is something that was invented by the British to create division between the two communities. They said that if the Hindus actually felt anything when this was happening, they would have left some evidence of it. So this my present work is to discuss, is examining what happened. So, I have taken up a uh, number of temples in all over India, hmm. about 25 30 temples for which I could get evidence. And I show that the temples were too big not to be, uh, too big to be safeguarded. There were such large structures, they had to be destroyed, they were attacked, you could not protect them. But the point is that you could protect the murti in the temple. Because the Murti is smaller. So in many cases, I have found that the Murti was taken away by the priests or by the devotees. And the tremendous hardship that they underwent to safeguard the image. And in certain cases, the image was buried. In some places, it was kept in the house of a devotee. But there are cases where the image was kept away for as many as 800 years. Yes. And when the Mughal Empire declined and the Hindus started reasserting themselves, then in many cases, the images were brought back and reinstated in those very temples. Well, in fact, it's a very uh, pertinent observation you brought out because uh, I was actually going to add to that as well. Um, after the Ram uh, original Ram temple was uh, destroyed, it is believed by a lot of people, particularly in Orcha today, that the Raja Ram Mandir houses the Ram Lalla Murti that was recovered from the Ayodhya side. And because the Murti had, it was believed, thrown into the river. The legend of Raja Ram as uh, of Ram Lalla coming to Orcha is that uh, the queen of Madhukar Shah, the Bundela king at that time. And last week, I had lunch with the 
present Raja of Ocha Fantastic. to discuss this. <laughs> exactly. And I said that why did your grandmother or great grandmother travel from Ocha to Ayodhya in those turbulent times? After all, an image of Ram could be made in Ocha also. So, did she bring back the Ram Lalla idol? Because there is a view that the Ram Lalla idol was thrown into the Saryu. Now, he's, I said, but the image that is there in the temple is of Ram as king. It is not of Ram Lalla. So, he said that it is not a Ram Lalla image. When she went, uh, she said, I'll bring back Ram Lalla. And when no miracle happened at Ayodhya, then she said that I will take Jal Samadhi. And she entered the Saryu river. And when she entered the Saryu river, her foot touched something. And then she came out and she told those people, please see what is there. And it's a four foot image of Ram as king. This is the only temple in the whole of India where Ram is worshipped as king and where there is a gun salute every day. But it's not the Ram Lalla idol. Now somebody else has told me that it went somewhere in South India. But there is a temple at Ayodhya in the early 20th century. The Mehans found that image in the Saryum. You know the river goes on changing its course. And they said that is the original Ram Lalla image. And that is there in a temple at Ayodhya. Uh, Ma'am, another question, a question that I had particularly, uh, during this whole case and the way the proceedings in the civil suit as they went about happened, uh, one notices particularly with the leftist historians a disdain for archaeological evidence because, altogether, because, not just here but across yes, I mean, yes. entire spectrum of Indian history. And you will not study. find any archaeologist who is a leftist. Exactly. <laughs> because when you dig out, then you have to give an interpretation and you um, cannot say we never dug out anything. Exactly. <laughs> and in fact, you And when you mentioned Mr. K.K. Muhammad, uh, the archaeologist who actually has gone on record to say that yes, there was a temple there, he was part of the original ASI team. Um, it is very interesting when he recalls in his own autobiography, trans excerpts of which have been translated, of his interaction with Professor Irf Irfan Habib. Yes. Though that and the fact that we also know for a, on record that one of Mr. Irfan Habib's, uh, I can't call him professor, I'm sorry, if your student is plagiarizing and you don't realize what's happening. Uh, I mean, Mr. Irfan Habib's disdain for any archaeological evidence, not just from the times of Ayodhya, but even prior to that. Yeah. And that too for even the Mughal structures like Padapur yeah. uh, Sikri, yeah, the Ibadat Khana episode. That was discovered by K.K. Muhammad. So, I mean, uh, your opinion on why it is important to have, you know, then why is it not important for the present government to, you know, push for better funding for ASI, for other archaeological activities. I mean, I find it very, very appalling that it is not at all even thought about. Very painful question which many archaeologists have also asked me. I can only uh, express my belief that the regeneration of Hindu society will come from outside government sources. It will come from people like us. I mean, there are so many things which can easily be done by the state. But the state has other priorities, so it seems. 
is a project that Sanjeev Sadhya has been pushing yes. on. Yes, yeah. yes. So that is why, you know, if you can actually help with oral histories, it's okay, very, yeah, very important. Because it's very uh, interesting that you should mention Orcha because just last week I went to his house. He is also Madhukarsha. <laughs> The present ruler yeah. is also called Madhukarsha. The king whose time this temple came up in Mursa. Was also Madhukarsha and the present ruler is also Madhukarsha. And I mean, it's interesting that they shifted the capital to Tikamgarh after yeah. setting up yeah. the yeah. uh, yeah. Parvan Ram in One yeah. of the temples was converted into a mosque, Parishad. Actually, and uh, I found certain miniature paintings of Beer Singh Bundela, who was the first one to, you know, resist. And then also of the Mughals under Shah Jahan attacking Orcha. So, I have got some very interesting visuals also this time. In fact, Tala Vadra is, is a very famous local deity of Orcha. He was the man who single-handedly defeated the Mughals yes. under Shah Jahan. Yeah. And there is a whole story about how he was poisoned because of the conspiracy. By the you know what I am trying to do because left historians, they will attack a work like mine by saying these are, what are the sources? So, this time I am only using inscriptions because can you imagine many times the Hindu rulers who brought back the deity, they were very clear that it should be remembered. So, they put the inscription on the temple wall. So, inscriptions, eyewitness accounts, temple histories because many temples wrote their own histories at that time. They wanted to record, you know, how they have overcome this. So, I am using these kind of sources. I am not going by oral traditions except in the case of Orcha where I am attributing it to an interview given to me by Madhukarsha. Because otherwise I will say this is all fairy tales and rubbish. And you know when we say that the Hindus had no sense of history, when I am doing this project, I am quite surprised to see how careful they were in certain things like temples. I uh, will just give you one example. So, uh, in Kolapur, there is a Mahalakshmi temple. So, that temple was built in the 9th century. Uh, but before that, that site was also famous as a, uh, you know, uh, Devi site, Devi goddess. So, at in the 9th century, this Mahalakshmi temple was built and many people, used, many kings also used to come to that temple and on the walls of the temple, you can find inscriptions that this king said I came here at this time, made this donation. It was a very popular temple. Then when the attacks on the south began, uh, some devotees took away the image. And that temple got converted into a district office. So for many centuries, the temple was there but used as an office and there was no image. Then when the Maratha movement started and the Marathas became powerful. Then Shambhaji second, he said that you know, now we are strong enough and we should restore the worship of Mahalakshmi in Kolapur temple. And he told his commander, please locate that image because there is no evidence that the image was destroyed. And they start looking for the image and they find it in the house of a devotee. And that image is reinstated after a gap of hundreds of years in that temple where it continues to be worshipped even today. So, the record is there that Shambhaji has given this instruction to this commander that find the image and reinstate it. So, I am looking for this kind of thing where the evidence is there. But I have found so many such cases. That is the surprising 
part. When we say the Hindus had no sense of history, it's amazing that on things that were sacred to them, how careful they were to record. You know? You will find this in a number of South Indian yes, temples. Yes. They are written in old yes. Tamil. I have the, and every, yes. every temple will have I have, uh, so many lines yes. and lines. I have found evidence for about 8, 10 major yes. temples yes. in the South through yes. the inscriptions. Yes. I think it is uh, Dindu Madhav. It's there in my book. Because there are many temples in Banaras for you where you can find this story. Gyan Bapi. And how credible is the record of I just think one thing. Of a poet called Vidyadhar. Jo Actually, there is a person called D.V. Sharma. So, he has done the most extensive excavations at Fatehpur Sikri and he found a full Jain city over there. And uh, when the excavation started and this whole city came up, itni unko, you know, full life-size Saraswati, the most beautiful Saraswati in India. Or in Sabkina Murtiunko with the face downward so that they don't get damaged. And can you imagine that he was asked to call off the excavations? So the excavations at Fatehpur Sikri have stopped, but he was a very he is a very smart person. He took as many photographs as he could and has published a book which has been published by Aryan Books International. It is called Fatehpur Sikri, beautifully illustrated. It's already out. Yeah, yeah. Came out many years ago. Uh, namaste, ma'am. Uh, my question is. Aage uh, aajao, bhai. My comment is regarding the temple and images thing. So, in I think you must have heard of it in Nathwara. The Srinathji yes. temple was received yes. by the Rana of uh, Mewad yeah. and also in Kankaroli. The yeah. What happened is that the cases of so when they were attacked, then the Rajput kingdoms were nearby. So, the Murtis were taken to the Rajput kingdoms. Now, what the Murti hai, wo, you cannot put in a suitcase and uski puja honi hoti hai. So, the Rajput rulers and zamindars and villagers, they provided for the puja of the image during its stay in that particular village. So, those records are available. And in many places, temporary structures were built for those images because the image was in flight. So, those temporary structures are also there. The murti in there, in those structures is now new because the murti has shifted to its other location. For example, Govindev. Govindev, he left this area around 1669 and he was reinstated finally in I think 1739. So, how many years was he on the move? More than 70 years. So, where did he keep records And Nadwara is also? I was also or, reading that, uh, I was reading today, uh, there is a book called Art and Architecture in Bikaner. 
So there is Anup Singh of Bikaner and there are many cases of uh, kings of Bikaner. So they brought many of the temp, uh, Jain Murtis in the Shatunjaya Shat Hill. Mm -hmm. So when um, Anup Singh became powerful to negotiate with the Mughals, he installed the, many of the Jain Murtis in Shatunjaya uh, and Girnar Hills of uh, Gujarat. They are in several temples of Bikaner and Marwad etc. This is the last thing, then we close. So, uh, Aurangzeb, when he was the viceroy of Gujarat, then you know there was a very rich Jain jeweller who used to supply rare jewels to the Mughals. His name was Shantidas. So, he built a magnificent temple at Ahmedabad for this Jain deity. When Aurangzeb was the prince, he ordered that uh, us temple may desecrate the temple by you know slaughtering and then he constructed some mehrabs in the temple so it became a masjid now Shanti Das was a very powerful person and he complained to Shah Jahan that your son has done this and this is not acceptable to me because the Jains were very powerful in western India uh, Shah Jahan said that this temple should be restored now the Jain said that you know this temple is no longer sacred to us because a cow has been slaughtered over here and the Muslims they did not have the courage to continue using it as a mosque because Shah Jahan had given an order that it should be vacated and recently I read a Persian history which said that the Jain community had hidden those images in an underground place for about 150 years. And when Aurangzeb passed away and the Mughal empire was in decline, then they brought out those images and in the Jauri uh, area, the jewellers area, those images were kept there for worship. So, I have the Persian account of this. So, these are things which we cannot say that they are not there. So, the way to argue now what I have learned is to look for their sources because at that time the people who were writing histories were not interested in hiding these things for them it was a matter of glory and pride. Uh, everything is controlled by that. So uh, one can understand that in India because of the influence of the politics and because there is this very close network between academicians and politicians. So that's why the, uh, the narrative is built in such a way. But where do you see people like Audrey Trushk coming in and you know, <laughs> out of the blue they come Coming? In. People like? Audrey Trushk, you know, recently she's talking. No, but I told you that there's an alliance between the Indian left and sections of Western scholars. She is only a recent entry. What about people like Richard Eaton and Richard Davis? Their work was totally against the Hindu viewpoint on this issue of temple destruction. Yeah, yeah. So, shall we stop now? Thank you so much all of you for coming and for the patient hearing. Thank you so much.